Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. A suspect has been arrested in the San Francisco stabbing death of tech executive Bob Lee, and it's not who the right-wing noise machine told you it was going to be. Clarence Thomas's biggest financial backer has a Nazi memorabilia collection, and conservative commentators fall all over themselves to defend it. Donald Trump makes some very disturbing comments on the Tucker Carlson show about who the real enemy is. And the main suspect in the most damaging United States intelligence leak since Edward Snowden turns out to be a 21-year-old tradcath, or traditionalist Catholic. We'll discuss that and more in this episode. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating and a review on the app that you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe at didnothingwrongpod.com to get our content straight into your inbox. All of our work is free, but we're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that ensure that we can keep doing this important work. Thank you. A tech executive named Bob Lee, the founder of the mobile payment service Cash App, tragically lost his life in a stabbing attack in San Francisco two weeks ago. Former UFC and MMA fighter turned right-wing media commentator Jake Shields was one of the first people to raise awareness of this story on social media. His post on April 4th has over 10 million views. Shields wrote, I just found out my good friend was killed last night while walking him in San Francisco. He was the good part of the city and appeared to have been targeted in a random mugging attack. Fuck San Francisco. Then, of course, Elon Musk showed up to amplify this narrative the next day. He wrote, Very sorry to hear that. Many people I know have been severely assaulted. Violent crime in SF is horrific, and even if attackers are caught, they are often released immediately. Is the city taking stronger action to incarcerate repeat violent offenders? Brooke Jenkins, SF. Brooke Jenkins is the San Francisco district attorney. Well, now an arrest has been made in this case, and it turns out that the victim, the Cash App founder Bob Lee, knew his alleged attacker, who is himself another tech executive in the Bay Area, named Nima Momeni. Here's Joe S. Kanazi at Mission Local with a report. Mission Local is informed that the San Francisco Police Department early this morning made an arrest in the April 4th killing of tech executive Bob Lee following an operation undertaken outside the city's borders. The alleged killer also works in tech and is a man Lee purportedly knew. We are told that police today were dispatched to Emeryville with a warrant to arrest a man named Nima Momeni. The name and Emeryville address SFPD officers travel to correspond with this man. He's the owner of an IT company called Expand IT. Multiple police sources have described the pre-dawn knifing last week, which left the 43-year-old Lee dead in a deserted section of downtown San Francisco as neither a robbery attempt nor a random attack. Rather, Lee and Momeni were portrayed by police as being familiar with one another. In the wee hours of April 4th, they were purportedly driving together through downtown San Francisco in a car registered to the suspect. Some manner of confrontation allegedly commenced while both men were in the vehicle and potentially continued after Lee exited the car. Police alleged that Momeni stabbed Lee multiple times with a knife that was recovered not far from the spot on the 300 block of Main Street to which officers initially responded. 
This scenario would explain, in part, why Lee was walking through a portion of Main Street in which there is little to no foot traffic at 2.30 a.m. That was one of several incongruous circumstances surrounding Lee's violent death, which law enforcement sources from the get-go felt made it far from a straightforward or random crime. Nevertheless, some of Lee's fellow tech luminaries and a chorus of other influential voices portrayed this killing as part and parcel of a city awash in violent crime and on a descent into further chaos. While Lee is one of a dozen homicide victims in San Francisco this year, his is the only killing that has garnered national coverage or, in most cases, even cursory local coverage. San Francisco is home to much in the way of visible public misery, unnerving street behavior, and overt drug use. Its property crime rate has long been high, and the police clearance rate for property crimes has long been minimal. But the city's violent crime rate is at a near-historic low, and is lower than most mid-to-large-sized cities. Today's arrest would appear to undermine the premise that Lee's violent death was due to street conditions in San Francisco. If the police do have their man, this was not a robbery gone bad nor a motiveless assault by some random attacker, but an alleged grievance between men who knew one another, which the suspect purportedly escalated into a lethal conflict. The San Francisco district attorney, who was called out by Elon Musk on Twitter, has now clapped back. She called Musk's statements reckless and irresponsible, adding that he quote, assumed incorrect circumstances about Mr. Lee's death, which served to mislead the world in their perceptions of San Francisco and also negatively impact the pursuit of justice, unquote. I must point out that reckless and irresponsible statements like those contained in Mr. Musk's tweet that assumed incorrect circumstances about Mr. Lee's death served to mislead the world in their perceptions of San Francisco and also negatively impact the pursuit of justice for victims of crime as it spreads misinformation at a time when the police are trying to solve a very difficult case. We all should and must do better about not contributing to the spread of such misinformation without having actual facts to underlie the statements that we make. Victims deserve that and the residents of San Francisco deserve But hey, that's Elon for you. And he's definitely not going to apologize because he, of course, did nothing wrong. Of course. I think in a lot of cases, the peak for violent crime across the country was the the early to mid 90s. And it's been steadily decreasing in recent years. There was that uptick with the with COVID-19, but that doesn't play well on Fox News. No. And no. <laughs> I do think this story speaks to a greater narrative related to right-wing misconceptions or inaccurate depictions of supposed Democrat-run cities. Just the other day, I listened to Charlie Kirk's show. And God, I'm sorry. God help me. I know. God help me. This, uh, But I was. But I was. And he's on there about the new far-left mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson. Who, yes, is considered a progressive, but... They call everyone they don't like far left. Right. So Charlie Kirk is on his show talking about what a hellhole Chicago is and how much worse it's going to get. It's always going to get worse. And this is just taken as a fact. And Kirk pops up with a wonderful solution. And uh, he's just got it all figured out. If only if only we would listen to him, if only we, we understood. But let me let me just quote. What he said here on his show on April 11th, 2023. So if we said, all right, 
Here's a team of 10,000 people. We're declaring martial law. National Guard rolls into Chicago. Here's the tanks. Sorry, it's going to be two months of less liberty. We're going to start cleaning up the streets. Unquote. Yeah, no big deal, guys. We're just going to suspend the Constitution, send in the tanks, arrest all the criminals, and then everything will just go back to normal. That'll be fine. It's just temporary, because they only want this temporarily, of course. And of course. It, it's best for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, let's go elect Donald Trump, because he's the only one who can really follow through on this idea. He's the benevolent dictator we've been waiting for. Well, we've also seen this recently with Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. The far right repeatedly framed him as soft on crime, claiming that he was letting violent criminals off the hook and focusing all of his attention on a supposed witch hunt against Donald Trump. Why don't you go after the real criminals? Why are you after Trump? He did nothing wrong. This is a, this is a nothing. This is a big, not a big deal. Why are you doing this all no, over? Nothing, nothing burger. Nothing Absolute burger. Nothing burger. Come on. <laughs> get, the, get the order right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and meanwhile, there was an uptick again in New York of violent crime and murders with COVID-19, but that has since gone down. And I I mean, I saw several graphics about that, but this is their go-to talking point. They repeatedly tell their audience to get out of the cities, painting them as these far-left hellholes run by incompetent Soros-funded prosecutors who are soft on crime. (laughs) And let's be honest, Are there instances of Democrats being too soft on crime? Sure. Although we uh, certainly are seeing the opposite of that in Texas right now with Greg Abbott. Yeah, we got a Republican governor being too soft on crime. What's up in Texas? Yeah, it, it happens. And mistakes are made. And sometimes violent criminals go free and commit more violent crimes. It's an imperfect world and mistakes do happen on individual cases. But... What the right is selling here is a warped sense of reality. Like we've talked about, there was an uptick in violent crimes and murders related to COVID-19. I think all of the circumstances there are going to be something that's studied for years and decades to come. But still, by and large, even even with those upticks, the Mm -hmm. statistics across the board are way lower than they were at their peak in the in the early to mid 90s. And let's be honest, the homelessness problem is a serious issue in cities like San Francisco and Seattle, and we're not here to tell you that there aren't serious problems. There are serious problems and no one seems to have a solution for them, but these right-wing narratives aren't really honest either. These people aren't looking for solutions, they're not proposing ways to fix it. They're just looking for ways to beat Democrats over the head with a false sense of reality that the right-wing media has helped cultivate, and it's helped guys like Chris Rufo launch their careers. This is a guy who sort of launched himself into national prominence running for Seattle City Council and talking about how everything was so bad here and we needed to go to this new way of handling the problem, which wasn't really a way of handling the problem at all. But he used that to parlay himself into a cushy Tucker Carlson recurring guest spot and a Ron DeSantis state job cleaning up the public university system from being too woke. So Rufo got what he wanted out of all of this at the expense of the Seattle's homeless problem. But hey. Isn't it interesting how their quote unquote solutions never seem to cost Republican donors a dime? Isn't that weird? It's they've got they've always got ideas. They've always got ways to fix it but it never 
hurts their donors in the purse strings. And I, I just think that's awful curious. It's better to scapegoat. Yeah, scapegoat the poor people mm -hmm. who you can hurl insults and manufactured narratives and lies and hate their way all day long and doesn't cost them a dime. And they're all on drugs and they're all just living in tents and these people are scary and you know, the narrative's going to pop up, but periodically we get these reminders, like with what happened to Bob Lee, that this is something that's a tragedy and it's being exploited by the usual people who exploit tragedies. Yeah. And, and we've seen this manifest itself in, in various ways, but it's essentially the same idea. The right will post the same image on social media of trash piled up on one street in San Francisco over and over again, year after year, and maybe they'll mm -hmm. change the caption but their audience thinks it's the entire city, maybe even the entire state mm -hmm. all the time, because that is the perception of reality that they've been shown. And whether they realize they're internalizing that or not, they do. So with Bob Lee's murder, it's it's a tragedy. Man lost his life, but a lot of assumptions were made and they don't appear to have anything to do with what actually happened in this case. Right-wing media consumer beware. Well, speaking of dishonest right-wing narratives, which is <laughs> what we do here quite a bit, <laughs> did you hear the one about the guy who collects Nazi memorabilia, including original artwork by Adolf Hitler? Ooh. Doing so for good reasons, actually? Here's Ben Shapiro doing his best to justify this. According to The Washingtonian, when Republican megadonor Harlan Kroll isn't lavishing Justice Thomas with free trips on his private plane and yacht, he lives a quiet life in Dallas among his historical collections. These collections include Hitler artifacts, two of his paintings of European cityscapes, a signed copy of Mein Kampf, assorted Nazi memorabilia, plus a garden full of statues of the 20th century's worst despots. He said that he's filled his property with these mementos because he hates communism and fascism. Well, I mean, that seems like a reason why you might own this stuff is to remember the things that you hate. That's it. <laughs> but apparently this makes him a Nazi and a, and a, and a communist. I got to be honest with you here, Ben. I'm not sure if I'm buying that one. ProPublica broke two important stories recently on the relationship between billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow and Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Per the ProPublica article, it turns out that not only was Harlan Crow financing Clarence Thomas's vacations virtually every year for decades, including uh. <laughs> private jet flights, international cruises on the businessman superyacht, and regular stays at his private resort in the Adirondacks, he also bought property from Thomas in 2014. And included in the piece, they mentioned that... One of the properties he purchases is where Thomas's mother currently lives. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. People sell property all the time, right? I mean, he's such a nice guy that as soon as the sale was complete, he did tens of thousands of dollars worth of improvements on the two-bedroom, one-bathroom home, which looks out onto a nice patch of orange trees. The renovations included a carport, a repaired roof, and a new fence and gates, according to city permit records and blueprints. Yeah, he's... <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> He's just a house flipper, right? Yeah. yeah. He's 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 probably gonna it's just probably part of an HGTV show. Uh -huh. That's what that's what we're missing here. He just wanted to get an early start on the renovations. Yeah. You know, it's uh <laughs> you don't get to be a billionaire by not taking advantage of the favorable economic conditions and good deals, after all. <laughs> uh <laughs> 
Let, yeah, let's face it. Crow also bought several other properties on the street and paid significantly less than his deal with the Thomases. Although I've, I've already seen the right trying to say he paid fair market value for these. They can't prove that, but their messaging and, and narratives are getting crossed here. But Real estate is a volatile business, man. It is. That's true. That's true. Don't know what fair market value is, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, maybe the, the rest of the street doesn't have a, a nice little patch for the orange trees, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, in 2013, Harlan Crow bought a pair of properties on the same block, a vacant lot and a small house, for a total of $40,000. It's unclear if Crow paid fair market value for the Thomas properties, as we said, but who can really say what anything is worth in this world, right? Exactly. Can you put a price tag on freedom? No, and you can't put a price tag on a man's legacy either. And who could fault Harlan Crow for wanting to help honor the legacy of a, a really great American? Because here's what he said in a statement to ProPublica about that. He said he purchased Thomas's mother's house where Thomas spent part of his childhood to preserve it for posterity. My intention is to one day create a public museum at the Thomas home dedicated to telling the story of our nation's second black Supreme Court justice, he said. I approached the Thomas family about my desire to maintain this historic site so future generations could learn about the inspiring life of one of our greatest Americans. Crow's statement did not directly address why he also bought two vacant lots from Thomas down the street, but he wrote that, quote, the other lots were later sold to a vetted builder who was committed to improving the quality of the neighborhood and preserving its historical integrity. Man. ProPublica also asked Crow about the additions on Thomas's mother's house, like the new carport. Quote, improvements were also made to the Thomas property to preserve its long-term viability and accessibility to the public, Crow said. So yeah, nothing to see here, right? Well, maybe he bought the vacant lots because he needed to, he needed some art galleries to store his original Hitlers. He just... <laughs> hey, hey, hey. The wow. Oh, the yeah. museum down the street I, from the Clarence Thomas Museum. That's a Sure. Mhm, for historical reasons. Yeah, he's he's just really concerned about history here. I don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> All of the people he gives money to say that this is fine. So I just don't see yeah. what the big deal is. Although, you know, the, I guess if you're going to really make me think about it and say something, Thomas probably should have disclosed the sale. Actually, he definitely should have disclosed the sale because he was legally required to. Mm -hmm. Even if even if it was fair market value and everything was above board, which uh, I mean, mm -hmm. maybe maybe there's some evidence that it wasn't. But if you got nothing to hide, why didn't you disclose it? Why'd you violate the law and not put it on your form? Again, according to ProPublica, they wrote, a federal disclosure law passed after Watergate requires justices and other officials to disclose the details of most real estate sales over $1,000. Thomas never disclosed his sale of the Savannah properties. That appears to be a violation of the law, four ethics law experts told ProPublica. The disclosure form Thomas filed for that year also had a space to report the identity of the buyer in any private transaction, such as a real estate deal. That space is blank. 
Quote, he needed to report his interest in the sale, said Virginia Cantor, a former government ethics lawyer now at the Watchdog Group crew. Given the role Crow has played in subsidizing the lifestyle of Thomas and his wife, you have to wonder if this was an effort to put cash in their pockets, unquote. Ooh. Well, this seems at least kind of bad, especially when you consider that Crow has long been a big player in conservative politics and has spent millions of dollars on efforts to shape the law and the judiciary. Well, I'm sure that Thomas won't let any of this affect his fine legal mind, so it's probably best that we don't pay it any mind either. Right, because everybody does this, right? Listen, his QAnon-adjacent election denial wife is his best friend Mm -hmm. and she also probably has a sound legal mind and um i just wouldn't think too hard about it uh shit i don't know (laughs) (laughs) you can't even get that out without laughing about it no it's it's... i mean it's if ever there was an instance of conflict of interest and a guy who really just should not be on the supreme court i mean his his wife is involved in so many different Republican groups. She was texting Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, after the 2020 election and clearly seemed to believe that the election was stolen and bought into a lot of the lies that got airtime on places like Fox News, which is now still trying to wriggle their way out of a $1.6 billion lawsuit from Dominion Voting Systems. So... I think that maybe these two, between their their personal beliefs and their conflicts of interest and their apparent inability to uh, fill out their disclosure forms, I don't know how you can say that he can be an impartial member of the court at this point. Especially when it comes to the causes that this guy wants him to adjudicate. There's a reason why they've spent this kind of money on the court. There's a reason why somebody wiped out Brett Kavanaugh's debt. Yeah, Leonard Leo, who uh, part of Harlan Crow's collection had him and uh, Leonard Leo and Clarence Thomas in a painting together on their wall. <laughs> wow. Um, and Leonard Leo was instrumental in all three Supreme Court appointments during Trump's four years in office, which was a pretty blatant power grab. It's not that I want to see the Supreme Court as illegitimate. And I don't think it's illegitimate, but it's there's a reason people don't trust the court and they're concerned about the court and they're concerned about the amount of money that's gone into placing these people on the court and the belief systems and the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which had stood as settled law for over 50 years. It's it's corrupt. It's corrupt. It was it was bought mm-hmm. and paid for. There's just no other way to look at it. And you've got your guys like Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Comey Barrett saying in their confirmation hearings that, oh, this is settled law. We're not going to touch it. And then yeah, the, second the second they get the chance. Because that's what they were the put second. on the court to do. I mean, that's what all the money went mm-hmm. towards. And they said all of that because they had to say it. And like you said, the first chance they get, because that that was the plan. I'm I'm so uncomfortable with this discussion because I think the Constitution is sacred. And I think we have to come together as a society and we have to respect the rule of law. And I think all of these things are so important for our government to function. But what has happened with the Supreme Court 
has led to hard to not have your faith shaken in this yeah, case. It really it, and is. That, that's right. It's it needs to be better than this. And people pointing out the flaws in what's currently happening and what they're getting away with. It's not anti-democratic. The people, the the especially the right wing billionaires and donors who are placing this undue influence and putting all this money into it, they are the ones corrupting the system, in my opinion. I don't know how else to look at it. No, no, there isn't. Well, Donald Trump, as he does, uh, decided to wade into all sorts of bizarre discussions in an exclusive interview with Tucker Carlson. Exclusive! Exclusive! (laughs) Uh, The first interview Trump has given since his arraignment in a Manhattan court over the 34-count felony indictment laid out against him. As several commentators pointed out, it was a thoroughly humiliating experience for Tucker. But we kind of expected this for Tucker. He apparently remains loyal to Donald Trump, despite what we saw in the leaked messages that came out thanks to the Dominion Voting Systems lawsuit against Fox News. You may recall in one exchange, as Summer Concepcion reported for NBC News on January 4th, 2021, Tucker wrote, quote, We are very, very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. I truly can't wait. Adding later, Quote, I hate him passionately. I can't handle much more of this. <laughs> know that feel, dog. Yeah. you wanna... Welcome to the resistance, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> well, it's just, it's funny, though, how many of them say this. Because mm-hmm. we had the same sort of leak from Alex Jones a while back that Michael Edison Hayden reported on at SBLC. So it is funny how much the people who really need Trump and simp so hard for Trump uh-huh. come back because, yeah, apparently Tucker hates being irrelevant more than he hates Donald <laughs> Trump because he's been finding excuses to support him and repeat the latest MAGA messaging night after night after night for months now. Tucker now claims that his comments about Trump were just in the heat of the moment. He was venting and letting off some steam, and he didn't really mean it. He even said, quote, I love Trump, unquote, in response to all of this. It seems like Trump is willing to forgive him, but we're currently in the groveling stage of this forgiveness. This is a long-running pattern with Trump. He'll forgive just about anyone as long as they submit to his will and kiss the ring enough times. For whatever reason, Tucker's doing this and was just downright humiliating for him. Trump barely let him speak and made frequent criticisms of Tucker personally during what turned out to be more of a soapbox monologue by Trump than an actual interview. And as funny as that humiliation was, there was a particularly dark point of the interview, for me anyway, And it's when Trump told Tucker who the real enemy of America was. I often say, they said to me the other day, one of your fellow journalists said, uh, who's the biggest problem, sir? Is it China? Could it be Russia? Could it be North Korea? No, I said, the biggest problem is from within. It's these sick, radical people from within. Because we can handle, if we're smart, we can handle Russia, China. I did. This is just so unbelievably bad and dangerous. The biggest problem we're facing in the United States isn't Russia or China or North Korea or any other foreign threat. 
It's not corruption or income inequality or gun violence or Citizens United or racism or pick a million other things. No, according to Donald Trump, the biggest problem that American citizens face is not liking him. <laughs> it's, it's Democrats, the deep state, the fake news media. The Soros-funded Antifa communist prosecutors who hate America almost as much as they hate your favorite president, Donald J. Trump. It's pretty sick. It's twisted. It's anti-American. It's not exactly new from Trump, but it's not only dangerous. It's exactly what Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, and every other enemy of the United States wants to hear. They want us to turn on ourselves, and Trump is pouring gasoline on the fire to help make it happen. And it feels like where this goes and what he's angling for is really civil war. And you see it with plenty of MAGA commentators. You see it with MTG and a lot of the people we follow. And really, I think that's where the rhetoric ultimately leads. Just thinking about all the people who've said it. And I think back to Roger Stone saying it in 2017 about the Mueller investigation. And it, oh, if they really want a civil war, if they really want to investigate Trump, well, well, they can have it. And at the time, even then, it was kind of a joke or kind of a Rogers just inflammatory and crazy. But again, it's another thing that they haven't really let go of the gas on. And I still don't think anything on the scale of an actual civil war two is likely I think it's extremely unlikely it comes to that, at least in the near future. But it does go back to what we've been talking about a lot on here. The, that messaging emboldens anti-government extremists who obsess over events like Waco and Ruby Ridge. And it does increase the likelihood that we're going to see more lone wolf style attacks in the future. And that brings us to our final topic today. And it's a doozy. You may have heard the story about Jack Teixeira, the member of the Air National Guard's intelligence wing, who reportedly leaked classified U.S. intelligence documents online via a private Discord server he set up with some of his online friends. Well, it turns out that the 21-year-old Teixeira also happens to be a tradcath libertarian gun nut with an explicitly racist side. Yeah, tell me if you've heard this one before. Here are some of the relevant details from the Washington Post. They write... One friend described Teixeira in an interview as patriotic, a devout Catholic, and a libertarian with an interest in guns and doubts about America's future. The friend said he met Teixeira before 2020 on a Discord server, mainly focused on guns and libertarian politics, and they bonded over their shared interest in Glock handguns and Catholicism. <laughs> Later, <laughs> yeah, keep, keep in mind with all of these that we're talking about young boys and men who are in their early 20s and teenagers, several of them are underage. So I, I feel like the Washington Post took these sources rather too literally because these are kids. Mm -hmm. They sound like stupid kids who don't know what in the hell they're talking about. Uh -huh. I'll continue here. They write, later, the friend joined a new Discord server that Teixeira started called Thug Shaker Central, which became home to a group of about two dozen people, including many teenagers. Teixeira was a, quote, pretty normal guy, unquote, outside the server, said the friend, who eventually met Teixeira in person. He had a, quote, slight temper and was more of a mentor than a leader. The story adds later, 
Other members of Teixeira's server have showed the post video of Teixeira shouting racist and anti-Semitic slurs before firing a rifle and said he referenced government raids at Ruby Ridge in Idaho and Waco, Texas, events with deep resonance among right-wing anti-government extremists. The name of the Discord server itself derives from a meme taken from a gay porn video often used for its shock value and laughs, the members said. Mm-hmm. They, again, these are kids. The, the people in this Discord server were kids, and they're trying to laugh the whole thing off as a joke. I've seen the, the anti-Semitic memes and posts, and there was uh, Holocaust denial in there. There was some really dark stuff, and I, I think the Washington Post really let them get off far too easily by by saying, oh, he was he was a good guy, and he was patriotic, and he didn't really like Russia or dislike Ukraine. He just didn't trust the government and all this. And it's, they even try to kind of laugh off those, those memes as, Oh, it's just a joke and for shock value and all this, but Hey, it's kind of like what we talked about recently with Douglas Mackey's trial and, Mm -hmm. and the government's witness uh, microchip. It doesn't matter if it's a joke. It, it makes its way into the discourse and, People believe it. People internalize it. This is fine. It's a joke, but it's sometimes these jokes are taking the place of Mm -hmm. our parents or grandparents watching the nightly news. It's the same effect over time, really. And so letting them get away with just laughing this off is it's bad. And we talked about this when we talked about Nick Fuentes on this episode that we did on Nick Fuentes, that this is his whole gig is pretending all of this stuff is a joke. And if you look at these people, these are terminally online, Discord, Tradcath, Minecraft server kids. This is Fuentes' audience. This is literally who Nick Fuentes is talking to. And it's this whole irony poison style of discourse that's become a very much a part of that culture. So it's not a joke after a certain point. It really isn't. These people are all somewhat serious about what they're doing here. And it's leading to some really bad places as a society. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think the media needs to wake up and catch up because even if they don't get it, their kids do, or maybe their grandkids in some cases. Mm -hmm. But if you don't understand what's happening here, this is going to keep flying under the radar and then everyone's going to act so shocked when we get more of these kids who just, well, it was just a joke or, well, it was just funny. My friends Mm -hmm. thought it was funny. So what's the harm? But then tell that joke a couple hundred times. And it's like you, even if you didn't believe it to begin with, eventually you start to see truth in, in what you're saying. Even if it's a joke, it doesn't matter because that's repetition. It's repetition. Repetition. That's why propaganda works. That's why Goebbels was so effective. It, it didn't have to be true. If you say something enough times and repeat it over and over again, enough Mm -hmm. times, enough people believe it. Not everyone, not everyone, plenty of people know better and don't do that. But is there going to be a certain percentage of the population that does believe it? Yeah, that's how people work. That's why the advertising industry exists, because yeah. you eventually get to a point where you can repeat something enough times and people will actually buy it. People don't think propaganda works, but whoa, advertising sure does. What's the real difference here? Yeah, exactly. So not a big fan of the WAPO's article, but it did have some important details that it included. But 
they they paint Tashera in far too favorable a light, and Josh Marshall explained this better than I can over at Talking Points Memo, and I'm gonna read from his piece now. He writes. Here's a new article from the Post on Jack Teixeira, which contains a series of assumptions I can only call disturbing. The headline reads, quote, he's from a patriotic family and allegedly leaked U.S. secrets, unquote. In the vein of that headline, the article presents Teixeira as a bundle of contradictions. He didn't want to hurt America. He was a patriotic guy from a patriotic military family, etc. And yet the guy described in numerous interviews with young men or boys from his server community is a textbook far-right radical, the type who often commit acts of violence, though as yet we have seen no evidence of that from Teixeira. He was very into guns, he was viciously racist and anti-Semitic, he worshipped at the cult of Ruby Ridge and Waco, and anti-government activism. One friend of Teixeira's from the server described him as, quote, a patriotic, devout Catholic and a libertarian with an interest in guns and doubts about America's future, unquote. He also said he had a slight temper. The two bonded a few years ago over Glocks and Catholicism. The friend assured reporters that Teixeira wasn't anti-America, but simply pessimistic about the country's future and looking to educate young people about current events the best way he knew how. Had Tim McVeigh lived, who is the Oklahoma City bomber, you may recall, he could be to share as literal as well as spiritual and figurative father. And I think it's good. I'm just interjecting here. I think it was good that Josh Marshall pointed out the the quote about him not being anti-America, but simply pessimistic about the country's future, because that is that is a line that that MAGA mm-hmm. and far right media is selling every day. They say they love America but they just hate the deep state. And and that's the context that isn't coming up here. And that I, I can just tell from reading these quotes that what sort of media and commentary these kids were consuming. Because if you look at all the, the mm-hmm. right-wing pro-Trump sources, they all claim to be patriotic. They all claim to love America. But the the pessimism that they feel... That is about who they call the deep state and the fake news media and the Democrats, the other, the same people that Trump in his interview with Tucker Carlson is saying is the real problem. It's the biggest threat. So, yeah, it it is dangerous. Continuing with Marshall's piece here, it is commonplace to note that white mass murderers are often humanized in newspaper accounts, while those who are black or Muslim are demonized and seen only through the prism of their crimes. There's some of that here, too, but what I'm describing is far more specific. Violent, far-right radicalism has again been an issue in this country for decades. It's behind January 6th, the murder plot against Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, the wave of far-right terrorist attacks against the country's power grid, which Hunter Walker wrote a great article about at TPM just yesterday, interjecting here. You should go read it. If you can't clearly identify that, this is a big problem. We can't still be hung up on it being hard to understand how a kid who joined the military, waved the flag a lot, and came from a good patriotic family turns out to be an anti-government terrorist in the making who hated black people and Jews. Back in the 1990s, there were a lot of people who said of McVeigh, well, he was a critic of the Iraq War and had some decent critiques of police raids. He was kind of a rough-hewn civil libertarian who just went about his activism the wrong way. The Post article certainly doesn't say anything like that, but the massive contradiction storyline gets you more than halfway there. 
Already overnight, Representative Marjorie Greene and Tucker Carlson are embracing Teixeira as a young anti-war activist who tried to expose the government's misdeeds the best way he could in Joe Biden's America. We can't defend the country from these extremists if we cannot even properly identify them. Yup. Yeah, Josh really nailed it with this one. And since he mentioned MTG, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I, I think I'm going to read her tweet here, which is gone viral and it's the worst example, the best <laughs> example, the most obvious example of what we're talking about. Mm. Uh, but it, she wrote on April 13th on her rep MTG account, Jake, well, she got his name wrong. <laughs> I didn't even know yeah. that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, okay. Uh, Tashera, who she can't remember his name in classic fashion. Tashera is white, male, Christian, and anti-war. That makes him an enemy of the Biden regime. And he told the truth about troops being on the ground in Ukraine and a lot more. Ask yourself, who is the real enemy? A young, low-level National Guardsman? Or the administration that is waging war in Ukraine, a non-NATO nation, against nuclear Russia without war powers? <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. because this, this is what, this will make us stronger? I don't, this will make us more resilient or better? It's, it's, what, they think we're going to come out of a civil war as a better, stronger country no they don't they think they're going to come out of a civil war running things that's what they think winning yeah winning because it's about it's about winning they'd rather be half the country half the gdp half the everything as long as they get to run things their way yeah i'm convinced i agree you're right that is the correct way to look at this that is the national divorce that she's talked about yeah we get to be king and queen of this half and Mm -hmm. you can have the rest Mm -hmm. We've, we've talked about this several times, and I'm planning on writing or may have already published something on this topic. It's not for the first time, and I suspect not for the last time either. This uh, keeps popping up, and we're seeing a lot of indications that this problem is going to get worse, not better. From what we can tell, Jack Teixeira is a tradcath or traditionalist Catholic who... We've had this discussion about the the Latin Mass and Vatican II, and they essentially want to turn back the clock. That is that is the the goal here. They want to live in the 1950s white America that never actually existed, but it exists in their memes, mm-hmm. and therefore it exists in their mind. So the rumors that his private Discord server was Tradcath have been circulating for more than a week now, but even this this flawed reporting all but confirms it. And this is a growing extremist movement. It does not encompass all of MAGA, but it is certainly a significant wing of pro-Trump figures. That's why we see Tucker going on air to defend Teixeira the same day he's arrested. We see MTG with her comments and a whole host of right-wing influencers claiming that this kid somehow stopped World War III. Which doesn't even really make sense, but it does to them and their audience. They have been telling their people that if we keep arming Ukraine, if we keep helping them defend themselves against the Russian invasion, well, then we're guaranteeing escalation in World War III. So their answer to all of this is simply to roll over, let Putin win, and have whatever he wants in Ukraine, and then supposedly World War III is prevented somehow. Yeah, as if a victorious and emboldened Putin won't move on to the next target, like, say, Moldova, or eventually, after Russia's had enough time to regroup and rebuild, 
NATO itself. The moral of the MAGA narrative they're selling here is that Jack Teixeira is one of, quote, their guys. He did a thing that helps Putin. Helping Putin is good. So they're defending their guy and calling him a whistleblower and a hero and all these other things that don't even make sense. Yeah. And let's be completely clear here. Jack Teixeira is not a whistleblower. He did not even claim to be a whistleblower. He did not want these documents to leak. He posted them online so his friends on the internet would think he was cool and powerful and knew important stuff. And that that mm-hmm. reeks. Just read through the Washington Post and anyone else who's who's got sources from the the kids that were in this Discord server. And it it just kind of flies off the page to me that they had a little bit that little sophomoric knowledge and understanding of the world, and they think they know better than everyone else because they are petulant children. Mm -hmm. I did feel the same way at 16 or 17 or 19. I think a lot of us did, and and we grew up. (laughs) They haven't yet, and hopefully they, they do. And Jack Teixeira is not a hero. He did not prevent World War III. He helped Putin. He hurt Ukraine. He hurt America and its allies because he apparently has a lot of distrust for the American government. And in him, we see a guy who consumes some really extreme far-right narratives far too often. And when you combine this guy's media consumption with his access to classified material, a sense of invincibility and superiority that often comes from youth and sort of a nihilistic approach to life, well, you get someone who throws his life away for no real reason at all. He didn't believe in some righteous cause. He didn't think he was helping anyone or exposing anyone important that the world needed to see. He's not Daniel Ellsberg leaking the Pentagon Papers, regardless of what Jack Posobiec's retweeting today and trying to tell you. He's not even Edward Snowden. <laughs> no. He's, no, he's, no. he's shit posting his life away for clout with a bunch of dumb kids. Yeah, he is. Uh, they even mentioned it in the original WAPO article where they said that he first posted this stuff in text form. He was essentially quoting and paraphrasing the classified documents that he had, but his little friends on the internet didn't seem to care or they started to lose interest. And so he started posting the actual images so they could see it was real. And then they suddenly became a lot more interested. So hope it was worth it. Indeed. Because the people that came and got him yesterday looked very serious about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the right is going to run cover for this guy. And if he gets to prison and writes some sort of Unabomber-esque manifesto you can bet in a few years they'll be boosting that and praising it Mm -hmm. and sharing that around because that's what they do and they've been going at this for a while but they really in the last week or so started to up their accusations against the fbi for targeting catholics and infiltrating churches and this goes all the way from jim jordan and the house gop to ted cruz and Charlie Kirk and Jack Posobiec and a bunch of other big name influencers. And yeah, that if the government is looking into people in church or at churches, anything to do with religion is going to be a touchy subject. And there's always potential for government overreach. But we're dealing with a growing 
movement of anti-government extremists who call themselves Catholics. And we're not saying their beliefs aren't genuine or real. We don't know what's in these people's hearts, but we do know that the growing Tradcath movement is dangerous. The threat is real. And that's what we saw here with Jack Teixeira. Jake Teixeira. <laughs> as MTG kindly put it. Real big galaxy brain on her. <laughs> galaxy brain. Uh, uh, yeah. Nobody made Teixeira throw his life away like this. But the Tradcaths, who thought he was cool on the internet, certainly didn't appear to discourage his behavior. Uh, we're going to keep watching this space for you. I wish I could say that I doubt we'll be talking about tradcaths again anytime soon. And I think we both know better. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as DNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.